When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. Keep your whole home running like clockwork. From the office to the game room with Xfinity Internet. You'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. is the Cubs related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan. And folks, it's probably going to be one of those episodes. Uh, I think you guys have come to know us over the years <sighs> and know that we are not going to sugarcoat things or pretend that things are good when they are not. So we are going to break down this series with the Atlanta Braves that started on Monday, ended earlier Thursday evening as we are recording this late on Thursday night, and the Cubs got swept. And they got swept in pretty convincing fashion by these Atlanta Braves who, I might add, entered the series having not won a game yet. So that's always fun. But we will break those down, and I'm going to run through these box scores pretty quick. Uh, I, Brendan, really would prefer to not even think about Monday's game ever again, but I'm, I'm going to run through these real quick, just give you the, the general idea of what happened, and then Brendan and I will break everything down. As you can imagine, I, I would think we'll be talking about the bullpen a bit, the starting pitching, uh, the roster construction. I think you guys uh, don't necessarily need me to lay out the outline here. I think uh, most of you are coming into this podcast with some pretty clear expectations on on (laughs) what the talking points are going to be. So let me run through this real quick. Uh, The Cubs lost eight to nothing on Monday. It was the debut for Kyle Hendricks, who goes four and a third, 10 hits, 
seven runs, only two of them earned, which should tell you pretty much all you need to know about this one. Uh, Mark Sagunas dropped a fly ball in left field that eventually, and later in that at bat, turned into a home run to start this game. And we were off to the races from there, Brendan, and that was a, a pretty good microcosm of how the rest of this night would go. Kyle adding three walks and four strikeouts. Uh, the Cubs made six errors in this game. The Braves scored eight runs. And like I said, that's all I'm going to say about this. This was an absolute mess. It was a crumple it up, toss it in the in the bin, and light the bin on fire kind of game. And this is already more attention to this game than I really would have preferred to give. So <laughs> that's that. That was Monday do yourself a favor and try to avoid any reading or highlights of that game ever again. On Wednesday, the the there was an off day as we discussed on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, it was John Lester back on the hill. John now two for two on the year in terms of delivering quality starts. And he deserved much better than the no decision that awaited him at the end of the evening. Six innings, six hits, two earned, three walks, seven strikeouts. The two runs coming on solo home runs to Dansby Swanson and Ozzy Albies. Albies, who is literally hitting like 520 against the Cubs in his short guy. career. And it's not like five at-bats. I think it's like, you know, 40-something plate appearances at this point. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not making that number up. I think coming into Thursday, it was literally 511, his batting average against the Chicago Cubs. I'm surprised it's not higher. I thought it was like at least 800. He, I'm, it's disgusting. I'm sick of the guy. Yeah, so he's not so fun. And in pretty typical fashion, right, uh, John Lester leaves uh, with the lead. The Cubs had a 4-2 to two lead going into the bottom of the eighth inning after Lester pitched the six. And Brandon Kinsler, who somehow now, folks, as the universe would have it, is the best reliever in the Cubs' bullpen, I, I guess. He's, the I think, the only one who hasn't given up a run. Uh, or maybe Brock hasn't yet, but he's walked people and contributed to runs. Whatever. Kinsler is somehow the only one who's been reliable, I think, every time he's been out there this year. He gets us to the eighth, and naturally, it's Steve Ciszek's turn to blow the game. So he walks three batters, eventually gets charged with three earned runs, and by the time he was taken out for Randy Rosario and Brad Brock— and Mike Montgomery all uh, in this inning. That was way more than enough to ruin this one. Uh, the Braves getting four runs in the bottom of that eighth inning to ultimately win this one. I think the big thing of note in this game is obviously Lester's performance and also Wilson Contreras gave the Cubs the lead with his first homer of the year, a 454-foot shot to dead center field. Uh, this was a bomb, and Wilson continues to look very good. So uh, up until the eighth inning, two Wednesday, excuse me, was looking like a, a solid victory, maybe, you know, turn things around and we can forget about that early series in Texas and that game on Monday. Steve Ciszek says no, though we're going we're gonna to dwell on this one for a little longer. <laughs> so six to four is your final on Wednesday. And more of the same on Thursday. The Cubs losing this one 9-4. to They fell behind in the fourth inning as a Brian McCann single put the Braves on the board. Darvish came back out for the fifth inning, uh, was replaced after the first two batters reached by Carl Edwards, and... 
Yeah. <laughs> about that. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, that might have been worse about than that. the first outing. So Ugh. that's been going well. And that's about the story there. Darvish goes four or five hits, three earned, four walks, and two strikeouts. Darvish was pretty good for most of this game. Uh, but ultimately, as as the game went on, the Braves started to make a little harder contact. He was clearly fighting his command a little bit in that fifth inning, and Joe made the decision to pull the hook. The game was only one to nothing when he took Darvish out with runners on first and second and no outs. Uh, so I think you could debate that decision certainly, but uh, you know I think it was pretty clear that Darvish's night was was coming to an end. It was pouring rain the whole night, and this is uh, just what happens. So. Carl Edwards uh, with another lackluster outing, currently sporting a 45 ERA, Brendan. So that's super solid. Tyler Chadwood was actually pretty good in this one. Two innings of relief, (laughs) uh, gave up a run and allowed three hits, but didn't walk anybody. Struck two guys out. And Mike Montgomery continues to also be really bad. So that's another fun development. Two innings from him, five hits, three runs, and two strikeouts. His ERA... uh, less than half of Carl's. So if you're, you know, in a bullpen pool, you're better off with Montgomery than Edwards, but still at 20.25, a bit high for my taste, Brendan. So again, the final in this one, nine to four, a quicker recap than most, but I think that is about all these games deserve. And the Cubs will head to Milwaukee for their first series with the Brewers, staring at a 1-5 and record. I don't think, even in my wildest dreams, Brendan, this is how I would have envisioned this season starting. But, Brendan, correct me if I'm wrong, the lead in this series is that John Lester was really good again. Six you are so sick. <laughs> is that not the most important thing that happened you in this are, series? You know what? Here's the thing. Good for you for looking at the positive that's side me. of things. Uh, that's 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 good for you, man. I'm in like borderline depression over here. Like my um, I just I can't doing this podcast right now is like my biggest fear that the Cubs are doing this to me, and I have to go on and talk about this team for an hour and a half or so. Uh God be with us all, Corey. But it's um, going to be a fun one. But it's gonna be a before fun one. Let's just rip before into we it. we do you know move on to the the issues at hand here. I do actually want to point that out. John Lester was good again. No, and I think it is fair. Yeah, I think uh, it is fair to point that another out. quality yeah. start uh, from him. And I think it was uh, again, like I said after that first start, emblematic of what I would expect and hope for from John. Really, for the whole year, he's he's been getting bit by the home run ball more in the recent past, 2018 being the highest home run rate he's put up in his entire career uh, at, I think, around 1.5 per nine innings. But this is, I think, what you look to John to do. As long as he can limit when those uh, mistakes happen, and, and in this game it was two solo home runs all contained within the same inning, and outside of that, Seven strikeouts. He generated nine whiffs on his pitches. It was 10 in that yeah. first start. Getting whiffs with his curveball, getting whiffs with his cutter, mixing in that changeup. I think he threw it, um, it looked like maybe six or seven times in the game when I was looking at Brooks baseball yesterday. So he's still trying to mix that in. And I, I think for me, 
John is one of those guys where people are always going to say, oh, he walked three guys, he's giving up home runs, look at his FIP, and, you know, the regression's going to come. And we've always kind of cautioned against that. And I think yesterday was a good example of that. And what I would draw your attention to is those at-bats against Freddie Freeman. He faced Freddie Freeman twice. Now, granted, it's lefty on lefty, but he faces Freeman twice in situations with runners on base where he really needs to get it out. And this is one of the best hitters in baseball, folks, in Freddie Freeman. And Lester gets him both times. And to me, one of the the reasons that I always trust Lester against stuff like that with his fifth, and again, this isn't to say that Lester is going to be perfect or great or that he can, you know, always give up two home runs a game and expect to survive. Of course not, right? But there are at-bats where you can clearly tell that the hitters are not locked in against him. They are fighting to see what pitches he's throwing, to figure out which pitch he's going to bring in that sequence. And that, to me, is why I have so much confidence in him. He makes bad pitches. Sometimes there are games that are total blow-ups where guys look locked in against him. But for a lot of this start yesterday, he looks like he is battling these guys and winning these battles. So even if he's got stuff that's diminishing as he gets older and he's more susceptible to the home run ball, he is still very visibly competing in these games and giving the Cubs a chance to win. So I think for as bad as his spring training was, he's looked really good to start this year. And I and I think sure. that that's positive. Again, no one's expecting him to win the Cy Young. But I think when you watch this game, he, he, he pitches and, and just looking at the individual at-bats, he looks like someone who, you know what, this guy is is still getting over on these hitters. He is still giving them trouble. And for the most part, he's locked in. And, and he was hitting some spots on those corners. He looked good yesterday. I think that is a, a good sign. And as I've mentioned before, he was showing off, Brendan, why he is not just a really good pitcher. He is a world-class athlete. He gets on base three times in this game, taking two walks and delivering an RBI single. Tell me, Brendan, what can't this guy do? He even went first to third on a Jason Hayward single, showing off the base running. At this point, he's really just showing off. So full full disclosure here, Corey and I prepped for this podcast, and we're like, you know what? Yeah, we'll go through the recap, and then we'll go instantly to the bullpen. Corey did say, yeah, I'm going to mention Lester a little bit. I did not realize he would go into a four-minute tangent about John Lester when the Cubs are literally imploding right now. Like can can Lester pitch every day, Corey? Can we just do that for now on? You know I'm not complaining about that. But no, I, I and I and I do think like look, we're gonna get into this, but I, I wanted to start with Lester, A, because that's my gimmick. You guys know that I'm not going to ignore the fact that he delivered a quality start and was one of the better offensive players on the field. Um I'm not saying he's a better hitter than Albert Almora, but I'm no, I'm just kidding. Uh, sort of. But I wanted to start there because it's six games into the season, and I absolutely do not say that to suggest that it's fine that they're losing these games, blowing these games, building themselves a deficit in the division, but we can be concerned about that without writing everything, an entire season off. And John Lesser being good delivering quality starts and keeping this team in the game is important going forward, regardless sure. of how freaked out this start has us. So so it, it's sure. it, it's sort of, 
you know, funny to start there when they get swept to focus on one pitcher. Uh, but it's also the important. only pitcher doing anything. But yes. yeah, I, I do think it's also important. Like Lester was good. That's that's not something that doesn't matter as sure. we go forward here uh, into the season. But Brendan, I'm going to throw it to you. I've done enough talking to to start this podcast. I, I I just want to get your initial feeling. I know you told us that that, you, that you're in a dark place, but as we head into this I series am. with Milwaukee, what is your your overall mindset? And and I think the question quickly turns to, and I think I mentioned this on the podcast after the Texas series, but I think the key right now is reconciling the notion that yes, it's early. There are uh, literally 156 games left to be played in this season. We have seen plenty of years where a team that has no business being in first place, sometimes into the middle of the season, you know, by the end of it, they're in the bottom like everybody thought they would be. So mm-hmm. how do we reconcile that notion with A, the fact that you're coming off a year where you did lose the division in a tiebreaker after winning 95 games. So you kind of have a pretty clear in-your-face example last year that every game matters and that you may regret blowing some of these at the end. And B, the fact that a large reason these games are happening the way they are is because of one of the greatest concerns about this team going into the season in terms of the bullpen. And this series with Atlanta was another one where we can nitpick the decisions Joe makes, but every single person he's given the ball to, like I said, save Brandon Kinsler, has screwed him over at least once mm-hmm. this year. Some of these guys multiple times already. So where are you in, in kind of balancing that line between it's early? Yes, but this is a really bad start and it's been caused a lot by something that we knew could be a problem. And, you know, I think you would have trouble, at least at the moment, giving a compelling argument that it could be expected to be better anytime soon. Well, that's the thing. And before the Cubs ended up losing the second game of the series, I I told myself, you know what, even if they do perform badly, and heck, even if they do get swept, it's still early, and there are still things to be encouraged about, specifically a lot of those bats, specifically John Lester, like you mentioned. But here's where the tides turned for me, Corey. When Lester, after that second game, said that the team, and this is what he said, quote, from top to bottom, is pressing too much because there is so much emphasis on getting a hot start. That concerns me. Because for the last, what is it, five months, all we've heard is urgency, urgency, urgency. And at least for the short term, that philosophy has completely backfired, completely backfired. Every single bullpen arm has imploded, quite literally, besides Brandon Kinsler. And at times, even though the offense has been good for the majority of, of, of these games, there have been times where they just haven't clicked again. And that's that's the concerning part for me because that's like a systemic issue. And I say that because when we look at 2016, right, that team was full of optimism. They were easygoing. They were loose, but they were focused. 
They were driven. They were self-motivated. And after they lost that tiebreaker game against the Rockies last year, Theo hinted that, you know what? And he kind of put the team on blast that that talent is not enough, that your mindset, that your comfortability and your talent is not enough. So what did he do? He met with the players. He met with Lester, Rizzo, etc., and encouraged and nudged those particular figures to step up, to become more of a leadership figure in the clubhouse. What did he do with Madden? He encouraged and nudged Madden, one, by not extending him, and two, suggesting he should be on the field more and being a little bit more involved in the coaching staff. So Theo kind of like put his hands a little bit more firmly on the tone of this clubhouse. That hasn't worked, Corey. Yeah. And that's that's the problem I have. We, we're going to get into the bullpen. Trust me, we will. But I want to start here first just because I really fell in love with this team in 2016, 2015 because of Joe Madden's philosophy. I really did because they instituted that mental uh, that mental program that they had. It's a weird tone. It feels so dang heavy around this team right now. It's so negative. You can feel and sense the, the pressure. And it's so antithetical to what Joe Madden is. It doesn't seem it just doesn't seem right to me. So I'm worried that, yeah, the the tone around this team right now is unnatural. This is not who they are. They did not win the World Series by having executives force their hand. They were self-motivated. They were having fun. Joe Madden was being Joe Madden. And it just, it doesn't feel like that. And that's the concerning part for me, Corey. Yeah, I think it certainly manifesting itself in this bullpen. I think if you're watching these games and don't think that the guys in this bullpen are pressing, I don't know what you've been watching. And I know, I think it was Brad Brock who said before maybe Thursday's game, you know, that he's he felt himself trying to be too fine. And I think that's what it looks like all of these guys are doing. And it shows itself in just an utter lack of command from this pitching staff with the walks, you know, coming left and right, that these guys are coming in there and trying to be perfect. And it, it's very frustrating because, you know, and they have given up big hits uh, that, you know, see uh, Camargo getting the big hit in right. the game on Wednesday, you know, so it's not right. like they're walking in every run, but almost all of these blowups in terms of the pitching staff have not been, st- you know, coming from getting ripped, getting hit hard, giving up, you know, homer after homer after homer. They're really coming from walks. That, that's that been the main catalyst for a lot of these uh, opponents' rallies against their pitching. And I think that the attitude is definitely manifesting in that bullpen. And, you know, the, I, I don't think it's it's wrong for this team to have a heightened sense of urgency. And, you know, I don't even necessarily know that I that I hated that completely from Theo. But but I, hold on, I, did, I, I did not hate, like, right. I, I think I was pumped up. Like, I think we were all pumped up, like, when Theo and Joe and the team got to spring training— and you could feel it. You could feel they wanted to get off to that really hot start. And we were pumped that maybe this team, this self-motivated team, was about to recapitulate that 2016 aura. I think we all wanted that and sensed that. But there's a fine line between having a 
sense of urgency and then like almost any rational sense of urgency where you're pressing where you're scared to fail right. where you're where you're nitpicking that's that's different maybe even urgency honest to god Corey. now that i look back at this maybe that was the wrong choice of words maybe that was the wrong thing to stress and that's why you know i'm sitting here on april 4th and just to preface we you know we all love a good preface i am still really optimistic about this team's future that hasn't changed I am very concerned about the immediate future and the consequences that it could have. And of course there's time to change, but I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of reevaluating whether or not this urgent thing, right? This 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 stress of getting to a hot start is ultimately backfiring and not good for this young, still developing team, Corey. So, Brendan, are you suggesting perhaps that the pressure is, I don't know, <laughs> let me see if I can come up with the word here, exceeding the pleasure? It so- sounds familiar. Have right? I heard that before familiar. or did I just make that no, up? No, I don't. I think I think you're making that up. No, but like that's that's what I'm talking about, too. And I don't know. Like the and hearing Joe Madden speak after that second Braves loss, that's not Joe Madden, guys. That's not Joe Madden. It's it's April third and you can tell, you can just read his his facial expressions. That's not who he is. And you know why he is not acting the same way he acted for the previous four seasons. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm working myself up thinking about this, but I'm just, I'm floored. I'm floored that we're in this position where we're having this, this conversation on April 4th. And again, I'm not, look, this team is still so young. They have so many more years of control for Rizzo, for KB. They extended Bodie, which is interesting. They still have Javi under control and Wilson and Schwarber. There's so many reasons to be excited. But currently it's like, you know what? You have this win window and man, for an, for an executive team to potentially, and I know it's too early to say this, but to potentially overstep their boundaries is incredibly discouraging to me. Yeah, I think we're going to have to see it play out a little bit more. You know, it's just one of those things without really being in there for all the conversations and stuff like that. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard for me to get a read on exactly what's going on here um and obviously the the start is going to put a a lot of these decisions and comments and things like that uh, under the microscope a lot more than they otherwise would have been so the only reason i'm saying this though is because of lester's comments yeah i would i would not be talking about yeah this no i mean Lester look i get where you're coming from that. theo made a point yeah. of pointing these things out there was that big long athletic piece that we talked about where they detailed like a lot of these kind of ways that the front office was maybe in in including their influence a little more on this club. So this is something that, yeah. you know, they put out there and, and they ultimately decided to do. So I do think it's fair to, you know, wonder what's going on here. I, I just have a hard time figuring out exactly what it is. Um, you know, and, and because even, you know, you look at like what Madden says to the media and stuff like that. And we've learned over the years, like how much can we trust any of this? You know, like I remember after that first weekend in Texas, you know, you have so many people 
who are when when I think ESPN's Jesse Rogers put out that, you know, Joe Madden said he was mostly fine with everything that happened this weekend and the bullpen actually wasn't that bad. It was just, you know, X amount of of bad pitches and, you know, some mistakes, whatever he said, right? And so many of the comments were, what game is he watching? These guys stink, blah, blah, blah. And you're reading it going, he's not going to come out and trash the guys in his bullpen. Like, no matter what he thinks, he's going to say it's fine. Like, I I don't know if people have met Joe Madden before, really most major league managers, but like, they're not going to come and like throw their entire roster under the bus three, four, five, six games into the season. Like, that's just a crazy thing to expect. So I guess it's all just to say, I really don't know how to read the vibe on on this team right now and and but I, I I do know where you're coming from and thinking that you know when you do place a huge sense of urgency on the early season and by not falling behind in the division you know when you do exactly that it's going to compound those concerns compound those fears and ultimately it, it is likely to compound guys pressing and and make them press more so I I get it. It's it's this is this is a bad start, Brendan. I mean, it's really difficult to. I mean, where are you, Corey? You to to be to be perfectly honest with you, you sound way more optimistic than I would have imagined you to sound. Like you you sound as if, like personally, I feel like I'm way more concerned than you are right now. Are you are you still like okay? Like what? Where are you, Corey? I think like somewhere in the middle, again, like I said, kind of at the outset, you're never going to get me to make a conclusion on a team or write off a team six games into the season. You just can't do it. And I know that- Have Have your expectations changed since opening day? Or rather, your belief of where this team could go, has that changed in seven days? I don't think so for the most part, though I really absolutely really? acknowledge that they are, you know, day by day making it all the more difficult on themselves to pull it out. I, I Again, I, I just need more time with this before I'm willing to really come to the conclusion. The bullpen concerns me, but it's always concerned me. I, I, I knew that this would be a thing, but like, you know, Kyle Hendricks doesn't have a great outing on Monday. We know he's better than that. Lester's been good. Up until the 5th, Darvish was pretty good. And I think if that fifth inning doesn't start the way it does, if it's not raining and it's not one to nothing, I think you can let him go through that. And likely he has a perfectly fine start. The walk total ends up being a little high, but he had some good stuff. Like, you know, I thought that was fine. And so Mm -hmm. I... The bullpen is a problem, but this offense has been, for the most part, getting hits. We're seeing some of these guys hitting home runs to start the year, and I think some of this will will get fleshed out. Wilson Contreras continues to look really good. Um, you know, Rizzo hitting another bomb on Thursday night. Baez hitting another bomb on Thursday night. Like I, I Schwarber looks pretty. Yeah, good. I mean, like overall, I think that this offense is gonna sort itself out and at the very least they're not the offense that they were at the end of last year right you can worry about them however you want but they're not that they're not a one or zero offense 40 times a year I I just don't see it that way Um, but the concern is the bullpen and the concern is how does this get better so I think that's where I want to kind of direct the conversation right now 
And I think the the first thing that I want to say, Brendan, is that if we're going to have this attitude of production over talent, right, and we are going to make that a talking point, we are, and, you know, like you talked about with urgency, that fits into urgency. That's where the production over talent comes into play. It's all, you know, branches on the same tree, right? Then mm-hmm. Carl Edwards Jr. cannot be on this team when they go to Milwaukee. And this is not at all to suggest that he's the only one that has failed in this bullpen. Like we said, it's basically been everybody. But how many times are we going to watch this same movie, Brendan? And and again, <laughs> I, I want to make it very clear that in no way, when we break down players like this after a series like this, in no way, shape, or form are we putting the entire burden of anything on one guy. But you can't overhaul the entire, you know, you can't get rid of all eight people in the bullpen. Not that we want to, but you you know what I mean. Like, so we got to break these guys down, you know, sometimes one by one. And it's not meant to put it all on their shoulders or cast all the blame there. It's just looking at each situation in a vacuum and kind of evaluating things. Similar yep. to the Ian Happ situation. Like, I think we were in agreement that he could benefit from going down. He in 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 not a vacuum didn't deserve it i don't think more than other players but for his own development it makes sense when we look at carl edwards junior he he cannot figure this out i don't think at the major league level he has serious control problems and a serious problem with outings getting completely off the rails when they start poorly. And and Thursday in Atlanta was another example. And I mean, it's it's kind of embarrassing to a little bit of a degree, Brendan. I mean, he's he's spiking the ball, he's throwing it to the fence. I mean, this is just not something that you if you're gonna preach production over talent, you literally cannot justify him pitching on a major league mound until you see some semblance yeah. of improvement from him i mean this outing on thursday it was bad enough in texas brendan but this outing on thursday legit is like you you're kind of embarrassed for him i feel and i feel for him too because for cj he tried so hard to change things in spring training and that was manifested through his his manipulated delivery manifested through maybe changing some of his pitch repertoire with the tommy hadavi all of that's failed, and his new pitch deliveries has been deemed mostly illegal at certain times. That sucks. And I think you're right. Like At some point, you have to ask yourself the question, can the Cubs afford to keep sending CJ out there? Even, even if it is the fourth or fifth inning, can they afford to do that? Because to Joe's credit, he put Carl in a situation that was not necessarily the highest of leverages, right? Like even that fifth inning where the game was, according to Pat, a turning point, it wasn't the seventh and eighth inning that we saw in the first week. So Joe Joe understands that and he was adapting accordingly. But at the same time, the bullpen right now is in shambles and it does go through some degree through Carl. And if he's not on, we have a major issue. So I... I I don't know, man. I've I feel like you just can't throw the guy right now. It's I don't know if there's any solution. I don't know if he needs to work on things in Iowa in an environment where there's little consequences both to CJ and the team. 
But if he continues to do this, we have a major problem. And the, the one thing that concerns me the most is when Carl came back from his shoulder fatigue injury last year, he was throwing two miles per hour slower. And in his basically every outing in, in 2019, he's doing the same thing again. He's throwing one to two miles per hour slower. If you don't have that cutting fastball, he's not going to get those whiffs that we've seen. And then you couple that with exceptionally poor command, he's not a major league reliever with, with those deficiencies. But does, that does not mean he cannot correct those deficiencies. It's just a matter of whether or not we can expect that. Right now, we can't. That's an issue. Yeah, and it, it just like again, like when you're you're preaching urgency, you got to look at where can we address that. And I I think that's an easy answer. Like Steve Ciszek blowing the game on Wednesday, he's been really reliable for this team. Every reliever is going to have those blow up outings. It's a volatile position. It's a thankless job. Whatever. You, you you move on from that. Someone like Strope has had a couple bad outings here to start the year, but he's got, you know, literally a five-year sample with the Chicago Cubs team of being an extremely consistent, good reliever. You don't worry about it too much. But this is the same story from Edwards we've seen before. Like, you have to look at this and say, we've given him at opportunities point, in yeah. high leverage. We've given him yeah. opportunities in low leverage. We just can't trust him. And, uh, like... We've talked a lot about how getting him right and getting him to be that that top guy is so important for this team. I, I just don't see it right now, Brendan, and and I think it's only yeah. fair to the team and to him that he not have to work that out at the major league level. I just don't see how that's a, a tenable strategy. And to even further that, you can't have six of the eight guys in the bullpen where you look at them and go, yeah, we'd prefer they come in in a low leverage spot to kind of see what they've got. What? You know, like you can't, you can't yeah. do that with everybody in the bullpen. This is why I was, was in, in that last podcast kind of confused as to why so many people are, are blaming Joe for this stuff. It's like every time these guys come in, they've gotten blown up. Who do you want him to give that? You can't manage everybody in the bullpen with a quick hook. You're going to take everybody out. Like, even yep. in the game on Wednesday, there were some saying, you got to take C-Check out after he walks the first two. Uh, for who, is is my question. So you could say for anybody else. Okay, how about Rosario? He came in and gave up a hit and some runs. How about Brad Brock? He came in and walked Walk. two people. How about Mike Montgomery? His ERA is 20 on the season. Like, at some point... How about Tyler Chatwood? Bring him on in. Right. Like. And look, if we're at the point where you want Joe to have a quick hook with people to bring in Tyler Chatwood, maybe. Call me crazy, Brendan. But maybe you might want to consider that, that the problem is not Joe Madden in that scenario. Chatwood came okay? in to relieve a guy who could not throw strikes And he was good on Thursday. He was maybe the Cubs' best pitcher on Thursday, which is a really sick sick joke honestly like this is this sort of feel this bullpen feels like we are what is going on if if dante had written you and i into his inferno i'm pretty sure this would be our ring of hell like where where we're we're longing for tyler chatwood to you know come in and and save us as the bastion of command that i'm actually nauseous right now thinking yeah sorry this is this but, is but like, you know what, what I mean. It's just like at a certain series. point where when you're you're clamoring for 
these other guys and, and, you know, Joe having a quick hook, I think you've got to look at the front office and you've got to look at ownership and say, you kind of put your manager in a no-win spot. Like, whoever he's given the ball to has been a total mess. So I think the thing for me is Kinsler's been good, and that's a good development. And, you know, I think if we're looking for people to say, has anybody earned more chances or higher leverage chances— I would say Kinsler has, it's early, but keep trying it and, and see he's been a successful reliever in his career. He has a profile that should get a lot of ground balls. Let's see if he can build on that. All right. Ciszek is going to yeah. be one of your guys. He was not good on Wednesday, but he's been very good for this team. He's been very good in this league. You're going to rely on him. Strope has been very good. You're going to continue to rely on him. I, I think the key is figuring out where these guys fit beneath him. And, you know, it, it, it does beg the question, you know, where you look at other guys in a similar light to Carl Edwards, like Randy Rosario, like gets a chance out of camp. Like he often doesn't look very good to me, Brendan. Like I'm not particularly excited by Randy Rosario uh, anytime I really see him. And, and so I think that's one where you can ask, like, are we getting the production or are we hoping for the talent? And like, is there somebody that could maybe be doing a better job? You know, Brock has been pretty hit or miss so far uh, in the early season. It it usually takes him a minute to get that velo up. Uh, I think it's been ticking up there. But at a certain point, like, you need these guys to start performing. They just don't have the luxury of waiting around to figure this all out. You've got some other guys, and I know you want to be careful about when you pull the trigger on someone like Alan Webster because of his option situation. And then ultimately, if you have, you know, guys like Cedeno or Barnett or Morrow come back, you don't want to have to dump him. I I understand that, but you, you can't keep tossing these games away. And, you know, you look at someone like Dylan Maples, Brendan, (laughs) <laughs> what's the difference at this point? We're all yeah. worried about Dylan Maples and his command. Join the club, right? At least he pumps gas. And I think that's one of the things that really stands out that's missing from this bullpen is that it's a lot of guys who don't throw particularly hard. And when you run up against a team that's willing to be patient, I think with a lot of these guys that come out of the Cubs bullpen right now, if you're an offense that has the philosophy of wait until you're sure he's got command, before you really like dial in and and try to focus on uh you know getting your pitch and hitting it because it's very possible that this team is going to is going to nip around the zone at you and you can just kind of yeah. wait it out. And so I think injecting some velocity in there and just giving us someone who maybe can just blow some of these guys away and Maples is one of those even if he doesn't have command sometimes it's hard for the hitter to figure that out because his yeah. slider cutter whatever it is looks like it's a strike, then it's a ball. Looks like it's a ball, then it's a strike. So at least injecting a, a slightly different profile might be of help here. But but where, like, what should they do? I, I'm throwing out some, some thoughts and some options, <sighs> but like in the immediate future, like before some of these other guys get back and you are, are going to try them, obviously, like what what do you do with this bullpen? How do you manage it? And and just what do you do? What do you do about a bullpen that is is just throwing games away? You got to get them right. You got to get you got to get means these what? current. Which Corey, there's no other alternative solutions even within Iowa. Like there's a lot of guys you can pull from Iowa. Unfortunately, they all share the same liabilities. Dakota Meeks had a walk rate over five last year. 
We know Dylan Maples walks basically every other batter. Granted, like you said, both of those guys throw upwards to 100 miles per hour, right? So yeah, you can bring them in, but they're still going to present the same issues that we see from Carl, from everyone else in the bullpen currently, and that's those walks. The other alternatives is someone like maybe James Norwood, who we saw last year, who I actually like. I really do. For some reason, he has not been discussed that much, but I think he has a little bit of an unorthodox release point. Reminds me of Justin Masterson and Greg Holland to some degree. But those are not re- those are not like reliable solutions in the immediate future. And even someone like Alan Webster, you bring him up, you can't bring him back down. Right. Once Morrow comes back, you gotta the moment Webster is on this team, he has to be on this team for the remainder of the season. Yeah. You can't send them down. So you have, and I think an he should just to jump risk. in. I think he's shown enough, especially you know in in spring training of this year, that he's not a guy you want to lose or play loosely with. Like if you're going to bring him up, you want him to stick. He's been good. You got to bring him up now. You got to bring you, you got to bring Alan Webster up at least within the next week or two weeks. There's there's a clear issue with this bullpen, right? And if you're telling me, okay, Brendan, you have to sacrifice Randy Rosario for the remainder of the season to give Alan Webster a shot early on. So be it. Let Randy Rosario play the majority of his innings in Iowa. Or you tell me, you know what? You have to send Carl down for a month or two to get him right, to bring up Webster. You know what? Maybe that's not that bad of an idea. But right now, if Theo and this front office and Joe Madden and this team is going to stress urgency then let's see it. Let's see the best pitchers on the roster. You cannot make the argument right now that throwing Tyler Chatwood followed by basically Randy Rosario, followed by struggling Mike Montgomery and Carl Edwards Jr. is the best combination. You cannot make the argument right now, Corey. Right. No, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think you need to... You got to try to nip this in the bud. When when I said what does that mean, I just I just meant like what? How do you envision that? So, I, but I mean like even Jed Hoyer came, was on the was on the score six seventy the score in Chicago today, and he was asked straight up, "What are you doing to fix this?" And he said, "We are solely looking internally." What does that mean? Kimbrel's not on. They're the not going to get Craig Kimbrel. I, I not, we, if, we said this a while yeah. ago, and you really should not be thinking about that. It's weird. If they do, if yeah. If they do get Craig Kimbrell, that will be very shocking. It's it's right I mean, now. It's one of those things where like he's he's not showing up. Even if they did, if they signed him right now, as we're recording this podcast, he's not pitching in Milwaukee, folks. Like he had, he didn't yeah. have a spring training. I don't know what he's been doing, but there's no way he's ready for major league competition right now. So yeah. it's I, I, yeah, I don't know why that get. I know why it gets keep getting brought up, but that was a solution two months ago. All right. Like it's not really a solution right now. Maybe it, it, I'm not saying it wouldn't make this team better in the long run, but they've been very clear. They're not going to do it. They're, they're not going to spend the money. They're not going to give up the pick because he was, uh, QO'd. Like it, it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So, and again, it, it doesn't solve this immediate issue because he's still going to have to get himself in game shape. Yeah. I mean, it, like the re- the reality is if they do sign Craig Embril, he's on that Brandon Morrow trajectory right. when he's going to come back in May. Yeah. So at least for the remainder of April, Likely you're not going to get him to pitch. Just how it is. So, so I, I yeah. yeah. 
I, I think I'm with you. You you need to make some changes. And, and the first change that I would make is Carl Edwards. And again, it, it doesn't mean that he's the worst guy in this bullpen or the only one deserving of attention here. But you you can't have him out on the mound doing this on a regular basis. And when it's something that you've just seen so many times, you need to give him the chance to work out of it. And it's just not going to happen at the major league level. And we've seen other positions where it could work at the major league level. In 2016, the second half, when the Cubs are up by 15 games in the division, they've got, uh, you know, they've just traded for Chapman. They've got a pretty solid bullpen that they've you know, developed like, yeah, throw him out there in the last inning against the Pirates when they're up or down six runs. Like, that's not the spot you're in right now. You're one in five and you're blowing games left and right. Like, it's hard to envision where those spots are going to come for him in this in this early season. So I think that is the first place you got to look. If you're going to preach production over talent, it's other than Ian Happ, it's about time that we start seeing that. Because this bullpen is is tossing <laughs> this early season away uh, pretty easily, and you know that's not to say that the the starting pitching has been perfect. It certainly hasn't. But it, again, to, they they had four wins tied up. Yeah, the right. Like you, you look at this and and you're just like, yeah, they 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 should have pretty easily won at least four of these games. And you know, again, even on Thursday, like I'm not that like off put by Darvish's start Madden saying after the game like he didn't necessarily have to take him out he was looking good it looked to be going south and he you know opted to get him out of there before it did yeah and it made sense it's, but I think you- again you can nitpick the decision but I, I don't think I guess what I'm saying is is that while the starters have not been perfect Hendricks certainly wasn't good on Monday but that a lot stems from those errors when you have the, the you know in the first inning you're giving oh, up runs brutal. because guys aren't catching brutal. the ball. That sends the whole game down in the trash. Yeah. And we all know it. We've all been on sports teams. Like when you get out there and you're hyped to start a game and things go poorly right away, it it affects your mentality. And especially as a starting pitcher, when you don't have confidence in that defense behind you, it's going to affect you. But I, I, I just said the Darvish thing just to illustrate, like I'm not like looking at the starting pitching as like, oh yeah, that's the main reason that this team isn't winning. It's it's the bullpen and it's the walks. Uh, I, I think there was a stat from Christopher Kamka, who's someone who I've read a lot of his stats before. He's a great follow on Twitter. I think he does some work with uh, NBC Chicago. NBC, yeah. I'm not positive of that, but but this is the most walks for a Cubs pitching staff through six games in a season since 1901. Brendan, they hadn't, we, people may, you know, used to make fun of the Cubs for 1908. They hadn't even won that World Series yet the last time they walked this many people in six games. So this is like a historic pace. Uh, excuse me, that was runs. 46 runs allowed uh, is the most it's, since I mean, 1901. Same, same thing. So, it, yeah, and and here's the, the the full line for the Cubs on this season: forty nine point one innings pitched, forty six runs, sixty one hits, forty one walks, a two point zero six eight WHIP. That is terrible, Brendan. Terrible, and it's really frustrating to see the walk total be the problem again. This is something that has crippled this team for seasons now at this point. And for whatever reason, you've got multiple pitching coaches in here at at different points. You 
have different personnel out there. This isn't the same bullpen that we saw. It's not the same rotation that we saw. Like there's different personnel, but just something about the Chicago Cubs lately, they cannot avoid the walks. And it's it's getting to be one of those issues where it's kind of like full stop, what is going on here? Like, is this a pitching coach thing? Is this a front office thing? Like, what is the problem that these staffs year after year cannot rein in the walk, Brendan? It doesn't make sense to me. As we are recording this podcast, it's almost comical at this point. But Dylan Mables is currently pitching in Iowa. He has just walked the bases loaded in the ninth inning. So if that's your solution, (laughs) guys, if that's your solution, go for it. That's what makes you sleep better at night. Go for it. But you know that's not a reliable solution. The reliable solution is, I hate to say it, but it is getting these guys right. You have to get Carl Edwards right. If that means him going to Iowa and bringing up Webster as as a short-term strategy, so be it. But my my main my main concern is if the Cubs unfortunately don't perform well against Milwaukee this upcoming series, what are the downstream consequences of that? God forbid they get swept again, but like seriously, if they go out there in Milwaukee and they don't perform well, this media blitz that's about to ensue when they go to Wrigley Field for opening night or opening day rather is going to be insane. It's going to be wild. It's going to be questions like left and right about everyone i yeah that's 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 my concern man and again like i'm reading another quote by madden too and it's just this it's this weird divergence discrepancy whatever you want to call it but he was asked about darvish and you just said this too but i want to add in this other point that he made and he wanted to get darvish and he just simply said quote part of it is i wanted to get him out while he was pitching well I wanted to make sure he left the game feeling good about himself, period, end quote. Here's here's the thing. To take Darvish out in that situation, to bring in a reliever, that's not the right move at that point. And I'm not picking on Joe Madden right now, but at at the end of the day here, if we are going to stress urgency, then it has to be on all levels. It has to be even including... Pushing maybe your starters a little yeah. bit longer like Darvish. It has to be getting the best guys on the roster to yeah. supplement Darvish. I, to su- to bring so so if Darvish comes out, you better damn well bring in someone that's gonna get out of that inning. There's a guy there's two guys on and no else. You're bringing in Carl to to supplement that. Yeah. And if it's not if it's not Carl, then it's Brad Brock who has issues. If it's not Brad Brock, it's Randy Rosario. Right. If it's not Randy Rosario, it's Mike Montgomery. There's no one I feel confident I, about in this bullpen. I think <laughs> I'm I'm mostly with you. I, I guess the issue is is that if you did have a bullpen that you trusted, we've seen Darvish run out of gas in some of these starts, and I'm not saying that it was definitely going to happen on Thursday night, but it looked like it was about to happen. So, like, I, I'm with you. I that only, you're, I only bring up you're the, turning the ball over to guys who you have no reason at this point to believe are better options than Darvish, and I and I I agree with you. Like, I think. You let him push through it, and if Darvish is the one that fails, Darvish is the one that fails. But I I like 50-50 understand Joe on that one. I, I think it's one of those where you're looking at this going like, this is probably going to go south here, but I don't have a good bullpen. You know, it, it really, all of it feels like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation well, that's, for, and that's for what Joe I'm trying, at this that, point. 
that's what I'm trying to say, though. I, I only and I'm, that's not to pick on Joe. That not that's not my intent. What I'm trying to say is, if if there is a full throttle sense of urgency, then it has to be applied to every situation. You cannot take out the clearly better pitcher in order to make him feel good about yeah. himself and bring in Carl, who probably is having a mental breakdown because he failed once again. Like, right. you know, you have to, it has to be applied to all facets of the game. And I don't think we're currently seeing that. I don't think if Theo, again, is is holding true to his desire to create a sense of urgency, then it has to be applied. And to bring in Carl Edwards Jr. in the fifth, inning of a game because you're trying to get him right that's not the stage for him to do that the stage is in Iowa that's the stage to get him right you need to win these baseball games Milwaukee's not going anywhere they've won what five one run games guess what Pittsburgh's looking pretty good guess what Cincinnati has a decent offense guess what the Cardinals are not going anywhere Paul Goldschmidt is there to stay for half a decade right this is a tough division Corey you gotta put the best guys on the field yeah, so I, I'm i going to transition into that same attitude, uh, but on the offense, and I'm going to go there. You're going to hear it from me in a minute. Uh, areas, Is this a bad thing or what? No, but just areas that, you know, I, I'm just going to say some stuff that might rile some people up, I assume. There's a certain fan club that I'm probably not going to be a member of. I mean, we're all emotional right now. Look, if you tune into this podcast <laughs> and you want to like delve into that emotional darkness, you, let me tell you something. You're, yeah. You tuned into the right but one. Let's put it that just way. Just to finish on the bullpen, I think that it's clear that there is not going to be outside help, right? We cannot expect a a last second run-in from someone to save us here. Like, Morrow may be healthy at the end of the month and hopefully can provide something, right? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see hopefully. what happens with him. <laughs> You know, hopefully you get Cedeno back, Barnett, and they can add a little bit more trustworthiness, if you will, to this bullpen. But right now, I think the key is separating out the guys who have given you some good innings so far this year, and you can try to build on those, and the guys who right now, with where this team is at and where the rest of the bullpen is, we just do not have the time for what's going on with them right now. And I would love to get them right, but... This team needs to put the focus on winning baseball games, not, you know, figuring out if everybody in this bullpen can be fixed on the mound in major league games. They need to get guys up here who Joe can rely on and who he doesn't have to question every single decision he makes because nobody can deliver a good result. So I I know that unfortunately, that ultimately is not a very clear answer. I wish it were as simple as saying they should do this guy in the ninth, this guy in the eighth, this guy in the seventh, and they're going to be fine most of the games. Like, I, I, I wish that I could just sort of line it up for you, but I'm not sure that I can. In general, I very much believe in Steve Ciszek and Pedro Strope. Again, Kinsler has been good to start the year. So I think we we prioritize those three for now and figure out who we can slot beneath them. Uh, but it, it's unfortunately not a super clear answer. You just have to hope that they are not this bad going forward in every game. And, and you need them to go out there with a sense of urgency and the, the, the sense that I need to throw strikes. If I get hit, I get hit. 
but we are calling these pitches, we are scouting these hitters to the point that I should not have to avoid the strike zone completely to be successful. It's not necessary. And it's a very concerning trend that these guys are just one after the other coming out there and nobody's throwing strikes. So Dude, what is going on? I, I what is know. going I really on there? Know. That's what I mean. I, I wish I had a good answer. What the hell? So unfortunately, the, the, the kind of general premise is you kind of have to just trudge through this a little bit. That game on Wednesday is the cruelest of all because, of course, that's the you know one of the only times probably all year. It'll be a handful of times that Steve Shishek is not reliable and he has a blow up in the wrong spot. And of course, it costs them the game. So I think with some of these guys, you got to just push through it and know that it's just bad timing and bad luck. And some of these other guys, the Cubs are going to have to get in there and make some changes and and prioritize urgency. And even if it's shuffling through guys, somebody needs to step up and we're going to figure out who it is. Production over talent. Brendan, putting your best guys on the field. I'm I'm going to do this. I'm going to start this conversation I cannot watch Albert Almora lead off for this team anymore. There, I said it. Dating back to the start of the second half in the 2018 season against both lefties and righties, Albert has a little over 200 plate appearances. He has an OPS of 548, a WOBA of 243, a WRC plus of 48. We've run through some of these stats before. But again, WRC plus is weighted runs created, 100 being league average, anything lower than that being below league average, higher than that, uh, better than league average. 48, Brendan, enough already. What did he ground out five times on Thursday night? All to third base. Look, I'm not saying to bench him. I'm not saying he stinks or has no value. Again, that's never the conclusion when we break stuff like this down. But in what universe does this guy get leadoff plate appearances for a team with this much talent? At this point, I don't know if this is a front office call or a Joe call. If I'm being honest, it feels like a Joe call, uh, just just saying, given some of the people he's put at leadoff in the past. But uh, against a righty, it's got to be Zobrist every night until he gives you a reason that he can't, until his body fails him at the, the age of 38 which I don't expect to happen until he's 75 at this point. But it's got to be Ben Zobrist. And even if it's not, you know what, Brendan? In some order, let Bryant, Javi, and Rizzo start the game with Wilson and most of the time Kyle Schwarber behind him. That's your best lineup. Those are your best guys. Again, I really don't want to piss off the Albert Almora fan club because it's numerous and all over social media. But you're going to have to provide me with a compelling argument of why a guy in his last 200 plate appearances with a 4% walk rate who only hits ground balls or soft line drives and a 548 OPS is getting the majority of at bats on this team in the games that he leads off. I can't do it anymore, Brendan. Yeah. And just add he doesn't more, see pitches. Uh, he bounces yeah, to short or third base every thing, yeah. single time. I it I this is one of those things where I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. And again, I want to jump yeah. in there and offer like again, the bullpen is the reason these they're losing these games. The bullpen is the reason that they're not at the very least four and two. It's not Albert Almora, 
But when the team starts one and five, we're going to break it down. And like you said, Brendan, we're getting to the point where it needs to be simple. Best guys on the field as often as possible, from the starters to the relief to the offense. I mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't watch him at leadoff anymore. And I said after the Texas series, like I, I didn't mind him getting some of those starts and hitting eighth or ninth and getting shots to see what he can do against right-handed pitching. But th- sure. this is just too much in, in the one hole. It, every game, it feels like it starts with a, a ground out. It just, no, I'm, I'm done with it. I can't do it anymore. Give me what you think about Albert O'Mora and you're, you're damn right, Brendan. You know where we're going after this. I know where you're going with this. But when the Cubs employed Dexter Fowler at the leadoff position, and even when they use Zobarist, both those guys swing at around 20% of pitches outside the strike zone. Albert Amora so far in this young season, in 25 plate appearances, 47% of pitches outside the strike zone, Albert swings at. His career average, Corey, is 41%. The major league average is under 30%. So basically, Albert Amora is swinging at 1.5 times more pitches outside the strike zone, which, you know, it's not that big of a deal because Javi does the same thing. Javi hits the ball over the fence literally 10 times more. Javi also has the speed that when he makes weak contact to some positions, he can get on base. Albert's slow as dirt. Yeah, and that's that's another thing too. It's like if, if we look at Javi's quality of contact on pitches outside the strike zone, it's greater than your average player. And we've showed that it comes insider.com. But I'm with you, man. Like, I personally, I like Albert because I think he's he's fun to watch. He, mm-hmm. he had a great catch in that third game of the Braves series. And he does provide, like, a sense of, I think, comfort defensively. So I, I'm behind that. And again, he's only 24 it, years old. So again, like yeah. I said, this is not a trash Albert Elmora thing. I just don't want no. him hitting leadoff. But when we have an offense, and at this point, like, I'm pretty confident about this offense. I, I'm very pleased with how Javi has looked. I think Bryant is just going through a little bit of a thing right now. But ultimately, Schwarber, Contreras, Baez, Zobrist, Rizzo, and, and you're basically having those guys as your front six rivals any lineup in Major League Baseball when they are on. So getting them the most at-bats seems logical i agree i i don't like seeing al in that leadoff spot i i never like seeing a hyper aggressive guy in that leadoff spot it's the same thing with like <laughs> dating back to those mid 2000 late 2000 cups teams with soriano right it was the same conversation can soriano be used as a leadoff guy because he has a hyper aggressive approach despite the power for al it's like can he be used as a leadoff guy despite the hyper aggressive approach and he has no power so that's 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 the thing. I ultimately Albert wanted to improve on his discipline and his overall offense clearly. And maybe Joe in the front office saw some trends in spring training that suggested, you know what? Al could improve and do so at the leadoff position. It makes sense that they thought maybe. We're not seeing that right now. It's time it's again, lineup decisions ultimately have a marginal effect on your team, but when you put a, an extreme example yeah. of of a hitter in a certain position, that does have an effect. Yeah, it's 
different when you argue, okay, should Javi bat fourth or second? That has no effect. It's different when you argue, hey, should Albert bat ninth or leadoff? That does have an effect. Okay, and I know where you're going with this, so just go with it, Corey. Yeah, again, just to summarize, like, Albert's 24 years old. Similar to how we talked about Ian Happ, like, you want to get this guy right, and you want him to be able to reach his ceiling. But right now, look, again, like, I like the glove, I like his attitude, I, I like him as a player, as a person, as a member of the Chicago Cubs. But you're going to have to give me a really compelling argument for someone who doesn't have that large of a sample of, of major league games for over half a season now, dating back to last year, he's got a, a 48 WRC plus. Like you're just going to have to convince me of in what universe that's something that should be at the top of the order. And like you said, he doesn't have those other skills of a leadoff hitter. I could live with a singles happy leadoff hitter, even if you look at someone like John Jay, I'm sorry, Brendan, I apologize for mentioning the name. Me? I'm, er- I'm already at a very okay. sensitive I, point I know, I'm sorry. This. But even Jeez. when you look at someone like John Jay, John Jay could take a walk. John Jay could work a pitch count, you know? And he, so <laughs> Albert doesn't have those skills. He doesn't have speed like some of these other, you know, kind of a more classic leadoff hitter where you're just looking for him to put the ball in play and see if he can get on, something like that. Like, he needs to hit to have the value. And for over half a season now, he just hasn't done it. And so, again, I'm not calling for his head, but just please stop hitting him at leadoff. The other issue, Brendan, if we're talking best players on the field every day, and I thought they did it on Thursday, but that's Kyle Schwarber playing against the lefty. And you know who doesn't play in that scenario is Jason Hayward. And I'm so sorry, everybody, that we're doing this again. I, But it just dawns on me the other night. And I, I said to Brendan, I cannot do this anymore. It's the same thing every single year, man. It is, I, it's like Groundhog Day. It's the fourth year we're doing it's, this. It's the same conversation, Four Brendan. It, it, it is... Well, his he's the best right fielder in the league. Yeah, but he can't hit. Yeah, but he's a great base runner. Yeah, but he just rolls over to second base every time. Well, but his exit velocity is improving. Well, he's improved his launch angle. Well, he was a good hitter in St. Louis for one of those years and in Atlanta. On and on it is and the on. same conversation. They need to move on. And I they, they it looks like they've already kind of gotten this hint. Joe hit him ninth the other day, which I don't recall seeing before, certainly not with any level of regularity uh, while he's been on this team. But you, you can't put this guy in the lineup every day. He he just is not there at the plate. I love the guy. He has been a, a very fun, like personal presence to have on this team. I think you see the value that he has in this clubhouse. He's someone that everybody only ever speaks positively of. He is a great defender. He's a great base runner. Like those things are are unquestionable, right? And this is also by no means one of those, like anybody that says Jason Hayward is worthless or he sucks or things like that, that's not right. And you're not smart for saying something like that because he's one of the best fielders in baseball and base running is part of the game, folks. So like it matters that he's good at those things. He's not worthless and suggesting show is is not correct. Very far from it. But 
he can't be an everyday player on this team. I know that Schwarber still needs to show more against lefties. He's got to make his own adjustments. But with Schwarber, you look and you go, yeah, but I see the potential, right, for this guy to be an unbelievable hitter, a force in the middle of this lineup. Jason Hayward just continues. It's pop-up after pop-up, bouncer up the middle after bouncer up the middle. And even when you talk about his exit velocity, we saw some some actual improvements, I think, throughout the 2018 season. And his exit velocity went up. He, he made some tweaks. There were like actual improvements in some of the results. But the problem, yeah. Brendan, is, is that 110 mile an hour exit velocity does not matter if you hit it to the second baseman every single time. Exit velocity in it of itself is not a be-all, end-all. It is not a measure of success. If you hit the ball on the ground, it doesn't really matter how hard. Let's put this in the perspective of the Cubs, right? If I told you I could get the opposing hitter to hit the ball really, really hard, but every time they're going to hit it to Javi, you're going to take that bet now, aren't you, right? You're going to be like, yeah, go ahead. Hit it as hard as you want. Like, <laughs> like please do that every single time if you want. It, it yeah. just isn't a useful output in it of itself to hit the ball hard. So I don't know, Brendan. I, I've kind of lost my, my exact Losing your mind, point I here, but it. it's really just that they need to put the best guys on the field every single day. And for me right now, like Zobrist needs to be in there until he gives you a reason to believe that he's not just going to be Ben Zobrist, which I don't think he's done so far this season. He looks good hitting line drives. He looks like himself. He needs to be in there. Chris Bryant's going to be in there every day. Rizzo's going to be in there every day. Javi Baez is going to be in there every day. Wilson Contreras is going to be in there every day, except when he needs to get time off because he's the everyday catcher. And Caratini catches Hamels. That's fine. I got no problem with that, right? But I want Schwarber in there more often than not, unless he's struggling like he did at the beginning of the 2017 season. And I'm talking like, we cannot ignore this type of struggle. He's got to be in there. He's got to be given a chance to reach that potential. And at this point, you need to start being cautious and mindful about when Almora and when Hayward are getting this playing time. And it may be an unpopular opinion in terms of at least one of those guys, but like put KB in the outfield if you have to, right? Like this is part of the problem with not signing any outfield depth is that you've basically relied on Almora or Hayward. Somebody has to play center field, right? You literally don't have anybody else on the roster except for Chris Bryant that like has experience doing that. But they're just not performing and you just can't keep throwing it out there and expecting it to happen. And like I said, they're kind of already doing it with Hayward, seeing him sit against a lefty, seeing him hit ninth on, I think it was Wednesday. Like these are signs that Joe and the front office are kind of like, yeah, about him like playing every day. Like we're going to have to maybe move on from that. But you can't be putting Albert at leadoff unless he starts showing you something else. At the beginning of last year, when they were doing the Al Mago thing, where it was Almora and Baez, I didn't have a problem with that because it was working. They were hot. They were riding the hot hand. I've got no issue with it. And especially in a situation like that, where when something starts and you have a player as young as Almora, let it ride, baby. 
Like, let's see if it can turn into something. You know, he's yeah. young. Let's see if being in this good situation can help him elevate to a different level. It's not where we are right now. Okay? Yeah. You, you have to put the best guys on the field, and you've got to be mindful about when these guys are playing and where they are in the lineup. Because at this point, like, Hayward, anywhere above, like, eighth on the days that he starts, I, I, I can't see it. I just don't see the argument for it. And Albert hitting first... I just don't think it's something that can be going on right now. He's just not getting the results. I don't know what we're looking at here to suggest that he could be a leadoff hitter on this team. He hasn't hit for over half a season. I mean, wh- where is the, the the sample that I should be looking at that's explaining to me why he's the leadoff hitter? I, I just don't get it, Brendan. I, it's like really one of those things like I, I think I'm taking crazy pills because I, I just don't understand what anyone is looking at. You know what we need at the top of the order to really get things going tonight, Brendan? How about a, a ground out to the sixth spot every single time? Like, what? On three pitches, come on. nonetheless. Wasn't tonight yeah. one pitch? Wasn't that the first pitch of the game? Literally I the mean, first come pitch on. We all talked about it. you go, we go. That's the whole thing with Dexter Fowler. And this isn't even like a, uh, I'm pining for Dexter Fowler. He hasn't been good with the Cardinals. Like, move on. Like, it's fine, right? But... Mm-hmm. So much of what he brought to this team was the ability to feel a pitcher out. If it felt like a night, like, guys, this guy's got nothing, let's jump all over him, Dex was going to lead you there. If it was one of those nights where it's like, we're facing Jacob deGrom, but he's nipping at the zone, be patient, Dex was going to lead you there. You're just not going to get that with Albert Almora. And unless he starts showing something else, no more at leadoff. I will lead that fan club every single day. We are seeing some extremely encouraging signs from Schwarber in the early going. Like I don't even need to read the numbers if you've been watching the games, but it's noticeable, guys. And the numbers back it up. So we talked about Albert's like almost 50% swing rate on pitches outside the strike zone. Schwarber's rate is 15%. 15%. And his overall swing rate is much lower than previous years even more encouraging is schwarber's contact rate guess what Corey? schwarber's making more contact than albert almora he's making more contact than an average player granted is 25 plate appearances that doesn't mean that the sample is at least not informative those particular numbers stabilize in about 50 plate appearances which means the majority of what you're seeing is because of that individual skill. So at least for Schwarber right now, I don't care about those statistics. I don't. I care about what I see and what the trend and where it's going. Right now, it's going in a very, very, very interesting spot. And he's 26. Schwarber's 26. And the best thing about this is that it's matching with a noticeable swing change with that crouch stance. That's the most encouraging thing. So yeah, if if we're playing Jason Hayward against lefties in favor of Kyle Schwarber, at least for the short term, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. Wholeheartedly disagree. Well, and with like that. look, Brendan, especially right now, like I love Jason Hayward's glove, but Jason Hayward making a couple extra catches is not gonna save this bullpen. We need Schwarber trying to mash home runs, right? Like and I say that sort of in jest, but like with the way things are going right now, put the offense on the field, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and just to to talk more about exit velocity, like 
It's not as if Hayward was tearing it up last year. His exit velocity was in the 50th percentile. It's league average. It's league average. When you're excited about a player who's performing at a league average level in terms of one metric, that's not even, it's informative, but it's not all-encompassing. It's not that big of a deal. It's not. So, if again, if we're stressing urgency, you can't tell me with a straight face and a confident demeanor that you want to see Jason Hayward at the dish in favor of Kyle Schwarber. You can't. You can't do that. Like if you if you can, I, w- I would love to hear the argument because maybe I'm missing something. But at least from what I've seen in these first six games, I've seen two big takeaways. Number one is Schwarber, and number two is Contreras. Yeah. And the rest of the team has looked pretty good offensively. That's my takeaway, and I want to see. I want to see more of it. Selfishly, for my own entertainment, I want to see more of it. But at the same time, I think that's that's what the Cubs should be taking advantage of. There are these rapid, successful adjustments that could lead to Schwarber being that staple in the middle of the order we all envisioned for many years, Corey. Yeah, I think ultimately my takeaway with the offense is still that it it, it looks pretty good. Um, you know, obviously they get shut out on Monday and they struggle against Max Freed on Thursday night. But I mean, look, the guy's a lefty pumping 97. He was throwing some nasty breaking balls. Sometimes we've we've talked about this with guys before, like even if, and and not to say that Freed is one of these guys, but even if a guy comes in with a seven ERA, they can still throw a good game. Like that's allowed. That happens in professional sports. So like sometimes you, I think when you're watching, and I know that Rob Friedman, the, the the pitching ninja, was unfortunately tweeting some of Freed's pitches from Thursday night. Like that, like pisses me off. Yeah, I know. Like, I you lo- never want to be on. If you're on the opposite <laughs> yeah. end of a, a pitching ninja gif, things yeah. are not good yeah. for your team because that means that someone's either dealing against you or you're generating some really bad swings. <laughs> but like guys can he he was pitching a good game i think if you watch that game you would watch freed and say he looked really good on on that night so it happens but i i think overall like you said the the, the keys so far schwarber looking good and contreras just looks really good he destroyed that ball on wednesday night loved the it wasn't even a bat flip it was more like a bat drop at clubs had a good it, it was like the same thing he did in the uh 2016 nlcs off kershaw yeah you know, he kind of like just gently at clubs had a good it. picture where it kind of looks like he's like levitating the bat because it's just sort of yeah, sitting in the it. air that was great so him looking good is great again rizzo hitting a bomb on thursday night Baez hitting a bomb on thursday night bryant will get going he didn't look very good on wednesday i'm not really sure what to make of that but as I've said a million times, as long as he's healthy, the last it's thing Chris I'm going to do is is yeah. doubt Chris Bryant. So it's been six games. So, but I, I think the offense looks good. I you know like I think the overall trends in terms of what they've been doing and and just how they look from a visual perspective, I think is totally fine. And at the very least, it's definitely not chili ball. They are definitely not playing that like weak BS that they were doing last year. So I think that that. That is on the, the, the right track. I do want to talk, uh, before we, we wrap up, maybe give a, a conclusion or two or whatever, uh, I do want to just mention uh, the Iowa Cubs play their first game on Thursday night. And guess who was the player of the game, Brendan? How about that? It's none other than Ian Happ. He goes two for Ooh. five with a double, three RBIs, and a stolen base. 
So, any strikeouts there? I believe you, the first at bat was a strikeout, but I'm not positive. Okay. So that's something to note, I, I suppose. Uh, and the other thing is the Cubs extend David Bodie a few days ago. Uh, through the 2024 season at least with a couple of club options at the back end of that contract. The total value through 2024, around $15 million. Basically, the Cubs buying out the arbitration process with David Bodie. And, you know, I think, Brendan, like this is, I know this is one of those moves that, you know, maybe catches people by surprise. It certainly wasn't any news I was expecting. Uh, but by the sound of it, Theo said that Bodie approached them and was looking to come to a deal like this. And I've got little beef with this. I was very surprised that anybody, I, I think your, your reaction to this at best or at worst is neutral, right? Because if he goes through the arbitration process, even if he's only a, a bench player, platoon player with a good glove and an inconsistent bat, like he's going to make that money in arbitration. Like he's going to keep getting these raises. And if you lock him up to a deal like this, which, you know, uh, without the club options, I think at the end of the deal, you're looking at what, around like 3 million a year. Like if he hits, he's worth way more than that. He's a good defender. He can play multiple positions. Everybody seems to love him. He's got a great attitude about him. He's done everything that you could ask of a young player in terms of making adjustments to rise up through the ranks and, you know, taking hold of an opportunity when you get it. Like I said, I think neutral at worst on this deal. And if he hits like we've seen him and really makes those adjustments, you've got a steal on your hands. Yeah. I mean, if anything, it kind of gets you pumped up too, because it's a vote of confidence from the front office. Mm -hmm. Like, they're willing to give. And granted, it's not that big of a risk, but nevertheless, it's $15 million. Yeah. They're willing to give that out because they believe in David Bodie. I like that. Yeah. That gives me kind of uh, And we're talking extensions. I like that too. Let's let's keep doing that. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> trust me. Across yeah. the board, let's go. Let's keep, let's keep doing that. A lot more extensions to give out there, Corey. But yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. Before I preview this series, I, I just I want to just emphasize this particular thought and there is still so much to look forward to and personally in in my in the back of my head my biggest fear is that like by august the baseball is not that interesting because i like i want to be in a pennant race i want to watch baseball with a sense of excitement all year and my biggest fear is by august we're not going to get that but if the Cubs play to their potential. If the offense continues to show positive signs, and if the bullpen just does kind of what the front office expected it to do, the team should be okay. And it's still, as we record this April 4th, it's still so early. And I know Milwaukee's on a hot streak. They've won five one run games. They're four, was it four games ahead of the Cubs? Four and a half, whatever it is. I'm, I don't care right now. There's still a lot to be encouraged about. So, with that said, let me preview the first series against Milwaukee. The Cubs will play Friday night in Milwaukee at a start time of 7, 10 p.m. And if you need tickets for that series in Milwaukee, well, as you guys know, we're sponsored by SeatGeek. For a long time, buying tickets has been really difficult and annoying with a few big companies who don't really care about the customer. 
Well, SeatGeek is a ticket company where the customer comes first with more than 50,000 five-star reviews. In the App Store, SeatGeek is focused on making your experience as easy as possible. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets from all over the web, rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and displays them on a very easy-to-use interactive map. So it's, fi- it's easy to find what you're looking for. Green dots, for example, are good deals. Red dots are overpriced. I actually had the SeatGeek app on my phone. I've always used it because it's the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I use SeatGeek to buy all my spring training tickets. I always use SeatGeek to buy any ticket here in Los Angeles, whether it's to a baseball game, basketball game, what have you. I can get it that day within five minutes. Best of all, our listeners, you guys, get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you got to do is download the SeatGeek app on your phone or go to its desktop version and use promo code CUBSRELATED for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code CUBSRELATED for $10 off your first purchase. You can use that for concert tickets, sports, comedy, whatever you want. Jose Quintana gets his first start of the year after coming in relief for uh, Hugh Darvish in that Texas series. Looked phenomenal, was pumping 92 to 94, a little bit above his average from last year. Showing some change-ups, but not a lot given that it was a relief uh, appearance. Quintana will face Brandon Woodruff for the Brewers. Uh, This will be Woodruff's second start. He got the win in his first start, gave up just uh, one run in his appearance. Woodruff throws fast, man. He's uh, he's filthy, actually. So he was a reliever mostly last year, started eight games. But this guy has four pitches. He pumps in, on average, 95-mile-per-hour fastballs, has a slider, a changeup, a sinker to complement all of his uh, pretty good stuff. So it's, it's not going to be an easy outing for the Cubs Friday night. The Saturday night game starts a little bit earlier at 6.10 p.m., Central time, Cole Hamels makes his second start of the year. He'll be facing Corbin Burns, who kind of like Woodruff was a reliever mostly for Milwaukee last year. And even sometimes in uh, in the minors, Burns, like Woodruff, throws extremely fast. He too throws 93 to 95 miles per hour. So if you wanted to face Heat against uh, starting staff, this is your weekend. Now, the la- the last game of the series, Sunday, starts at 1.10 p.m. Central Time. Hendricks will make his second start of the year. He'll be facing kind of his uh, his his twin, so to speak, his, his less valuable twin, and that's Zach Davies. So Zach Davies has been compared to Hendricks because both those guys throw in the, in the upper 80s to mid 80s with a pretty good changeup. So this is not my comparison. Fangraphs literally compare Davies to Hendricks. So that's where we are. So Milwaukee right now is six and one. The Cubs are five and one. Milwaukee again. I keep saying this, but it's just it's burned in my mind. They've won five one-run games, and that's that's the nature of the situation right now. So here's 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 the scenario: the Cubs go into Milwaukee, they sweep Milwaukee, they go back to Wrigley four and five, they send Milwaukee back out at six and four. We're feeling good about ourselves. The offense comes out, performs well. Hendricks, Hamels, rebounds, Q comes out, and he owns Milwaukee again, and we record this Sunday night feeling pretty good. How does that sound to you, Corey? 
Yeah, that sounds nice, Brendan. And honestly, like hearing you read through those names, can we stop with this with Milwaukee? Listen to those names in that rotation, Brendan. What is the deal with them? Enough of them. Like, I think I would be able to stomach the Cardinals being off to this hot start because I I thought they were like a legitimately better team than Milwaukee. But like, man, like they're winning a bunch of one-run games with uh, an extremely low run differential. They're tossing out these like nonsense pitchers for half of these games. Man, it's like, could that be any more frustrating? Christian Yelich is still doing the like... I'm a ground ball hitter, but every time I hit a fly ball, it's a home run. It's he's Barry Bonds. crazy. That's what he's doing. Crazy. Yeah. But yeah, that does sound good. Let's go in there. At least you got, you got to get two out of three here because uh, you, you do any worse than that. I mean, things are going to start really spiraling out of control here. And I, I, I think it's that simple. Like, again, this is a bad start. And I think it's a tough start to find the exact right tone because like I said no matter what six games into the year I'm always going to think it's too early to be outright panicking or writing a team off writing a season off etc but coming off a year where you win 95 and have to play in a tiebreaker to win the division and then end up as a wild card team coming off an off season where everybody knew to circle the bullpen as a spot of potential disaster for this team and an offseason where, like you were talking about, Brendan, urgency was preached. It's a tough tone to to figure out exactly how it should be when you're when you're looking at a one and five start. And in a lot of these games, it's you know really been kind of just a total mess. The, the bullpen falls apart. On Monday they're making error after error after error. Like it, it just feels like the worst possible start. So, I am, I'm, I'm optimistic going into this weekend because I, I just think it's too early not to be. And, and there's still stuff that concerns me about this team. The bullpen isn't going to get fixed overnight, but this offense has looked good. This offense has a ton of talent. I think this starting staff has been fine. There's been. You know, obviously some not good starts in there, some some not good moments in particular in some of the starts, but like Kyle Hendricks is going to be good. I think Cole Hamels is going to be good this year. Jose Quintana struck out eight guys in that outing in Texas. Like, I think there's there's good stuff going on there. I've got the confidence there. You, you're just going to have to push through this bullpen situation and hope that either making a couple of, of minor changes or or sticking with the guys who show you something starts to work out. And, you know, hopefully, like, we can get to a point where even if Steve Ciszek is going to have bad outings, hopefully it comes on the one night we don't need him, you know, or really need him to not have a bad outing, right? It just feels like that's just how this beginning of the year went. But, it, it again, it, it's six games in. I, I don't like seeing Almora in the leadoff spot. The bullpen looks like a mess. But it's still six games into the season. It's just too early. There, there are literally over 150 games yet. They have not even stepped foot at Wrigley Field. It's just too early for me to be outright panicking. And I think I think it was, was Chris Bryant that maybe said this in the offseason, uh, something to this effect. But oh, at least with the way this team has performed 
since 2015. And yeah, sure, 2018 doesn't end the way you want, neither does 2017. Okay, right, I'll, I'll afford you that. But I'm going to need more than six games, Brendan, to count out this group. It's, it's just how it is. I, I've just watched this group battle through adversity, battle through bad stretches, battle through injuries, uh, battle through, you know, people counting them out and, and you know, digging the grave for them, right? I can't, I cannot do it. it. It's, it's six games. They were very bad games, ex- really, except for opening day. Uh, and like <laughs> what, seven innings on Wednesday? Very bad. But I, I, I can't do it. I, you're not going to find me in, in a state of, of outright panic or long term concern. But I do think in term, in getting back to like striking that right tone, I think that it's appropriate to think that way and also think like you need to, you want to talk about urgency, now is the time for it, right? It may be very early, I'm not going to write them out, but you cannot dig yourself into a 5, 7, 10, whatever game hole in a good division. You just can't do it no matter how early it is. So I think that's the balance, saying it's early, this team has a lot of talent and should be very good over the next 150 plus games, but you cannot screw around anymore. You've blown easy wins and you you each time you do that, you remove the ability to kind of have that patience and, you know, that loose attitude about things. So it was supposed to be in game one where it was focus, win, do whatever we have to do. You know, now it's game seven and you really need to kind of step on that gas a little more. There, You're just running out of real estate for how long you can allow stuff like this to keep happening. You've got to figure out a way to fix that bullpen and get better results right now. Like starting in Milwaukee this weekend, you just can't let this go on any longer. I just need some wins, man. I can't. I cannot do this for another weekend. Just. I mean, my W flag is like already God. dusty again, Brendan. I mean, how does that happen? <sighs> I just if they get swept, dude. If they get swept, I'm oh, gonna be in you're deep going trouble. Full on dark here. Uh, I look. <laughs> this is where this is where I am. You're getting you're getting full on genuine me right now. They get swept. Where I mean, I personally, I am in deep trouble. But if they sweep the Brewers, the entire tone changes. So just to echo what you're saying, it's early. It is early. There are concerns. I'm concerned. Clearly, I'm concerned. <laughs> but <laughs> there's still there's there's a lot to be uh, optimistic about. Particularly, um, I'm, I want to see Schwarber continue to do what he's doing, just because the offensive ceiling with him is astronomical. So if he continues to do this, we're gonna be in good shape, guys. Yeah, so I think that's all we have for you. This was a long one. I I was pretty pretty sure it was going to be a long one. Um, yep. Sometimes when Brendan and I get going, e- either we would be having this discussion to just each this other or or to you guys. <laughs> like it, it would be happening either way. So we've we've kind of just recorded most of it this time, which which is good. Um, a lot less swears though. I'll be you know, perfectly candid with you when Brendan and I speak offline. It's, uh, uh, there's a, a little bit more expletives, if you will. Yeah. A little more color spicing up this, uh, these conversations, but regardless, uh, let us know how you're feeling. I, I think that, you know, like I said, when kind of trying to strike that right tone, I, I think you're kind of justified in, in any direction you're going. If you're super optimistic, I don't care about the first six games 
or super concerned. Like, I think that they, you know, may be kind of screwing themselves for the season by, you know, digging themselves this whole year. Let us know what you think. Uh, you know, we, we, we've been getting a, a lot more feedback lately, and it's, and it's interesting to hear your guys' perspective. Uh, I certainly don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer here. Um, it's kind of a to-each-their-own thing, and we'll get together again and, and do it all uh, on Friday in, in Milwaukee. So, uh, you know, as Cubs fans, we are all in this together. So uh, you, you do have, if you're, if you're feeling down in the dumps about this team, I, I think you are— uh, you know, you certainly should know that there are plenty of us out there who are uh, also sitting in a dark room staring at the wall, you know, after they lose these <laughs> games for an hour and a half. So you're not alone. But we will talk to you again after the Cubs finish in Milwaukee. I really hope, you guys, that we're able to strike a better tone oh on that podcast because uh, I love fleshing this stuff out and, and talking with Brendan and you guys, uh, but not the most fun, these last two podcasts, if I'm just being perfectly honest with you. Uh, I do generally prefer when at least one of the games I get to recap ended in a Cubs win. If that's too much to ask, you know, sue me, I guess, right? But yeah, we will talk to you guys on Sunday after the Cubs finish with the Milwaukee Brewers. And that is about all we have for you. Uh, As always, this has been the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. We thank you guys very much for listening and we will talk to you on Sunday. Go Cubs. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.